Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com slash shift. Today's guest, Steph Weber, is a brand and marketing strategist that helps entrepreneurs create authority brands in their industry with marketing strategies that convert. With eight years of experience working as a brand strategist, a degree in strategic communications, and the work she's poured into helping entrepreneurs scale, Steph helps brands implement the strategy they need to build impactful, sustainable businesses. Through coaching, live events, and the free resources you'll find at theweberco.com, Steph and the Weberco team help entrepreneurs create massive impact and turn their ideal world into their reality. Brand strategy is important for entrepreneurs because they are their brand. Steph Weber shares the value of a brand plan and making sure your marketing matches the transformation that you offer. It is not about you. It's about the value you bring to your prospects. Well, Steph, thank you so much for joining me today. Just looking forward to uh, learning so much from you and just uh, having a great conversation. Thank you, Robert. I'm excited to be here. Ready for it. Uh, thank you. So typically, I just always start with how did you get started as an entrepreneur yourself? Haha, <laughs> this is a great question. One of my favorites to answer. So I come from a family of entrepreneurship. So my dad was an entrepreneur, and so I feel like it runs in my DNA. Um, and I've always worked for small businesses. So when I was 17, they were like, hi, we'll get you a car, but you're going to have to pay for the gas somehow. So you're going to have to figure it out. And my very first job was at a local boutique in our Indianapolis area where I live. And so that was a small family-owned and operated business. And that's just kind of where I've stuck. So I've worked in the fashion industry since I was 17. And I started actually this business as a fashion, beauty, and travel influencer. Primarily focused on promoting small businesses within the Indianapolis area through that platform and realized very quickly that the entrepreneurs that I was working with and whose businesses I was promoting, they were using and executing marketing strategy, marketing tactic, but they didn't necessarily have the brand strategy to be able to support their overall message and to be able to grow in the way that they wanted to in a way that allowed those marketing efforts to really explode and work for their businesses. So then the Weber Co. was born. That's a very like short story, um, but that's that's a little bit about how I got started into this this journey of entrepreneurship. Nice. Well, so let's just talk about the the challenges for a brand, especially a solopreneur, to to build an audience to you know to generate leads. Um, what what did you do in your business to? To generate leads, what do you recommend for, for your clients? Yeah, so, wow, this is this is kind of a loaded question, Robert, so I'm going to answer it to the best of my ability without completely overwhelming your audience. Nice. Um, but for me, it comes down to, first and foremost, having an actual brand strategy, which means that everything from your mission, your vision, your core values, how you position yourself, the message that you have within your brand as a whole, how you're actually connecting to the other human beings that you're doing business with, leveraging the power of your story and the power of various different brand stories in your business to be able to drive that connection. That's kind of where it starts. Um, and then it's the marketing strategy on top of that, which very much goes back to first and foremost, where is your avatar actually hanging out? So I use the term avatar to describe your target audience. Um, but where are they? Are they on Instagram? Are they listening to podcasts? Are they inside of Facebook groups? Are they on TikTok? Where are they? And then we need to make sure that we're weaving together strategic touch points from there in order to drive action to a conversion in whatever product, service, et cetera, that you have to offer. So that's kind of a short and condensed um, methodology, if you will, in terms of what that has actually looked like. But it starts first with that brand, the message around that, how you're creating connection between the humans you're doing business with. Hmm. So good. So so what does it mean to, to be an authority brand? Mm, okay, great question. So this is messaging that we have actually 
shifted into over the last year is we have really defined, you know, what I like to tell entrepreneurs is that your brand is going to continue to change and grow and evolve. So wherever it is that you start is not where you will be a year from now, five years from now, definitely not 10 years from now, right? So you have to allow that fluidity within your brand as a whole. For us, we were very much realizing that with branding and marketing, many entrepreneurs are seeing um, what they feel is their maybe version of success on Instagram or Facebook or wherever it may be and feeling like, wow, they're having a lot of success. They're in a similar industry to me. They're a competitor, if you will. And I'm going to take whatever it is that they're doing and just kind of copy paste, maybe tweak some things and then make try to make it work for me, right? Mm. And then that's not working. So we live very much in a time and in a world right now where you can't copy and paste a marketing strategy. It simply is not going to work. You have to have the customized strategies that work for you, that work for your business, and that are going to allow you to grow and to excel in a unique way. So being an authority brand, first and foremost, means an ident in identifying that copy and paste is just simply not going to work and allowing yourself to stand in your brand beliefs and to stay rooted in what you truly bring to the table and in what you are capable of doing through your offer for the people that you serve. So it simply means that you stand in your authority in whatever industry and space that you have to, to present, to offer, etc., cetera, um, and you stand firmly in that spot. And you don't waver from that based on what you may see happening over here or over there. I guess that leads me to the idea of, of authenticity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so let's address the, the importance of authenticity versus the, the copy and paste marketing or the copy and paste strategy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first of all, I think that the term authenticity can sometimes be fluffy or sometimes be overused. People are like, just show up and be authentic. It's like, okay, well, let's dissect that. What does that actually mean? Well, first and foremost, it means knowing yourself. And it means knowing what works for you, knowing what you believe in, knowing what you stand for, knowing your vision, knowing these pieces that make your you as a human being who you are, but then also support your business growth as a whole. And it means not wavering from that and standing, again, standing firmly in that, right? And coming from that place of being true to who you are, true to what you say you do. So this kind of can tie into your brand promise or to your offer promise being backed by fact, being backed by testimonials, being backed by the social proof required in order for that authenticity to be valid, right? Um, and the other piece with authenticity that I think needs to be addressed and talked about is that you can be behind a microphone or you can be behind your screen or whatever that may be. You can be posting on Instagram, but if your experience in person is not the same as online, then there's a disconnect, right? So it's about really being who you are and who you say you are online and offline. Nice. Well, you're mentioning who you are and your brand, but so what's the difference between a personal brand and, and your business brand? I was just having a conversation with a client about this the other day. Mm -hmm. And I think it can, it can somewhat be difficult to say, well, this is personal and this is business, right? Because our lives, let's be honest, like our lives are interconnected. They're intertwined in various different facets and various different capacities. And I don't necessarily believe in like work-life balance. I believe in a blend. Like what does the blend of that look like, right? So for me, having a personal brand, I have, I have two Instagram accounts. I have my Steph and Weber Instagram account, and that's where I'm a little bit more personal with my audience. And then I have my Weber Co. account. The Weber Co. though is so far above and beyond just me. It is my clients. It is my team. It is our overall vision to serve entrepreneurs in the high capacity in which we do. So it goes far above and beyond just me as a human being. And an example that I like to use here to kind of demonstrate the difference between personal brand and your business brand. I'm a mom. I'm a mom of a one-year-old who you can see back here. And he's walking by the door with his, his with Grammy and Grandpa. Um, and I talk about him. And I talk about being a mom on my Stefan Weber account from a place of like being a mom and what he's experiencing and the growth that we're watching him go through and the trials and the challenges that we've had with him over the last year of him being alive, right? And then on the Weber Co., if I'm talking about motherhood, I'm also probably talking about it in combination with entrepreneurship because I know that that's something that my audience connects to and relates to. So I would say that your business brand is very much more a space of connection when it comes to your overall business purpose and your overall business vision. And you have to make sure that whatever it is that you're sharing there connects back to the people that your business exists to serve. Whereas when you have your personal brand, people are following you 
typically more from like an entertainment perspective or more from a like perspective of what are you doing or what's your morning routine like or what green shake are you drinking or whatever it may be, right? So there's just different kind of levels of influence between those two. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So on that on that family side, what what are some of the blessings of being a wife and, and a mom as, as an entrepreneur? Uh, wow, there are so many. There are numerous blessings. I think for me, it really comes down to, it comes down to a couple of things. Number one, in being um, a mom and an entrepreneur, showing my son what's possible for him and that he doesn't have to be an employee if he doesn't want to be. He can have his own business. He has the freedom to be able to start something if that's what he chooses to do. Um, and I have um, learned new boundaries over the last year, which has been a blessing for me in a very needed way of I I like to work. I enjoy what I do. Like I love the work that I get to do, but I also know that I need to take a break and I need to have my time with my family and so forth. So I have new and different boundaries and that has been really cool to watch, watch grow. And that for me has been a blessing. Um, I also feel like, you know, this business allows me to support my family. It allows us to go and make memories as a family at Disney or on the lake or wherever it may be for us. And that's really powerful and special. And that's part of my vision for myself, right? So we all have visions for our own lives, for the lives of those that we serve. And for me, it's really being able to have make memories and have experiences together as a family unit. This business allows us to be able to do that. And that's very cool. Hmm. So let's dig a little deeper into, into the these boundaries and, yeah. and setting boundaries and and how that's made a difference. Yeah. So like I said, before Eli, my son, um, I would pretty much just like wake up, start working and work, 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 have a little bit of dinner and sit back on the couch and continue to work because that's just who I am. And that's how I operated. But now, and I don't, I don't love the like eight to five or like nine to five work schedule, but it's the schedule that works for him because of childcare, et cetera. So that's what we're doing. So at five o'clock, I'm like, peace out. You don't get responses from me after five o'clock. You're not going to, I'm not answering emails. I'm not going live. I no longer do lunches at 8 p.m. at night. I used to do that too. And I'm just like, no, I've reached a point in business and in life that I'm just like, I don't need to do that anymore. It's just not a thing. Um, so that has been just from like a timing perspective and from a separation of, I have my family time where I'm very intentional and I'm not on my phone. First of all, if I am on my phone, my son is like, mom, can we watch Baby Shark? Like he's trying to get my phone so that we could do that. Um, so we just we just eliminate it. And I'm just very intentional about playing with him or the time that we do have together. Nice. That's so, so important. And I think um, entrepreneurs struggle to make that transition. And obviously you had the birth of your son, which is, you know, it's not a traumatic way. Can be a traumatic event, but it's a it's it's certainly a, a significant life event mm -hmm. that gives you permission to make to make that change. How how would somebody that's already had kids and they're already you know how would you encourage them to to set boundaries and to to value the, creating those kind of separations? Mm. So I think that boundaries come from a space of saying I don't feel fulfilled or I don't feel happy or I don't feel content. There's some sort of disrupt typically that's happening that usually results in that need to create a boundary. So if you're sitting and you're thinking, man, I'm exhausted at the end of the day, or I'm just, I'm feeling like I'm almost burnt out or I'm feeling like, like I'm not fulfilled or I'm not happy. Okay. Well, what are you doing? How are you spending your time? What What is it that's happening? That's causing you to really feel this way. And it's really kind of turning inward, allowing yourself to be self-aware enough to say, you know what? This task or this model that I've created my business in around, this is not making me happy and it's not resulting in the way in which I want to live my life, right? This comes back to understanding and knowing your vision. And if you're not living in alignment with that, then what are the boundaries you need to put in place so that you can do that? Or what are the changes that you need to make so that you can do that? Nice. And how much influence did, did your husband Colin have in, in these boundaries? Um, so Colin, Colin is funny and we... What's interesting about us is that we have been together now for 13 years. So we have grown up together. I mean, I was 15 when we started dating. So we've, we've been through a lot of change in our lives together. Um, and he very much is dedicated to his career and to his work as well. But he's also one that values our family and values spending time together. Um, but what's great about Colin and, and I and our relationship and what works is that we, we just 
<laughs> we complement each other in a unique way in that, for example, Colin does our grocery shopping and Colin does our cooking. He knows that that's not my jam. He knows that that's not my thing. But him being able to cook and like do those pieces and, and providing in that way for our family allows me to spend time with my son. So we have those like our boundaries complement each other, if you will which is really powerful and, and special for us. Um, but we also, you know, <laughs> we've lived in a time now after 2020 where he his job was very flexible and allowing him to work from home. And I mean, he had five weeks of paternity leave, which was really awesome. So we live in a world where some companies are transitioning more to allowing families to, to be together and allowing that family piece to be important and prioritized more than it ever has in the past. And I think that that's something really cool that we're experiencing. And he's in a job right now where he's like, man, I'm not 100% in alignment with what's happening. And I'm ready to make a transition. And so you know, we draw boundaries in our own unique ways. That's an example for him of saying, I'm not happy and fulfilled here. I'm transitioning to something else that gives me more time with my family. Nice. That's that's so important. And it is. And, and finding finding where you can serve each other and where you can add value to the relationship is, is, is so powerful. And, and of course the idea that there's these traditional roles that each person has to play. Now, obviously there are things that mom can do that a dad can't do, sure. <laughs> but everything else in between should be up for grabs and yeah. should be, should be able you know, a couple together should be able to, to decide and communicate, you know, Hey, what's, what's going to be the best for us together as a team. Right. Right. Yep. hundred percent. And that's, that is very much how we look at our marriage. It's a partnership. It is teamwork. It is not like, well, you do this and I do this. It's like, no, okay. You weren't able to take out the trash today. I'll do it. I've got your back. Right. Like that's just, that's who we are and that's how we operate. Nice. That's, that's so important. So on that note, the boundaries obviously have set up some timing for you. What other, what other ways have you used routines to help you obviously keep a rhythm in your personal life and your business? Mm -hmm. I appreciate this question because before Eli, I would wake up, I had a morning routine where I would read or journal or meditate. I would do some kind of action to kind of set my day up for success and get started and all the things. Well, when you have a baby that's like, I'm going to wake up at five, maybe six, sometimes seven, it's like, you don't, you no longer have those routines. They kind of go out the window. So for me to say, you know, I set my day up for success every day by starting it in this way. My days right now start typically with him being like, mom, come get me. Like I'm ready to get up now. Right. So I think you just also have to be very honest and realistic about <laughs> what season you may find yourself in in life, right? Whatever that may look like. Um, and that is a really important piece to evaluate when you are trying to set routines. Now, for me, my nighttime routine is where I can, I can have some space because he goes to bed at eight. So I get to be able to do... I have a really intense skincare routine because that's part of self-care that makes sense for me. Um, I also meditate at night before I go to bed. For me, that's a way for me to kind of wind down, to decompress and to say, okay, the day is over and you can kind of chill and breathe for a minute. I'm, you can probably tell I'm high energy. I'm like kind of high strung. Um, so it's helpful for me to be able to take a moment to like breathe and say, okay, Steph, like it's time for rest and it's time to calm your body. So that's kind of an evening and nighttime routine that makes sense and works really well for me. Nice. You mentioned self-care in there. When did you learn how important self-care was and, and give yourself permission to experience it? Yeah, I think that it's it's truly something, Robert, that I've I've kind of always experienced. You know, I grew up in the dance world, so I have danced since age three. When I was in college, I so I've always worked. My schedule's always been busy. I went to school, I went to dance, I came home and did homework and ate really quick and then rinse, wash, and repeat all the way through high school. And I went to college, I put myself through school financially. So I worked two to three jobs at any given time. Um, and I had to take time to be able to go to the gym or to be able to go have a walk or to be able to just do my skincare routine because those were pieces that grounded me. And I feel like maybe I didn't 100% realize that that's what I was doing until I became an entrepreneur um, and realized, wow, I, like, I got to pour into my own cup because I pour as a coach, I pour into a lot of other cups all day long. So really important to just take the time to say, you know what, I have to be able to like lean in here a little bit to myself so that I can lean into others all day. Oh, so good. So valuable. So obviously you've talked about, you know, filling your cup. Mm -hmm. um, what ways of mentors helped you fill your cup 
along the journey. Mm, wow, I love that question. That's a new mm. one for me. I have to think about that one for a minute. I've had a lot of mentors, um, a lot of mentors that have pull, poured into me in various different ways from a very young age. Mentors that I had in high school, mentors that I had in college, had as a young professional and have now as an entrepreneur. Um, and I think for me, mentors provide a space where I can share what's happening in my life and in my business in a way that I can't always share with everyone else because they can provide unique insight into what it is that I need. So even if it's just a simple conversation or just providing the space for me to be able to share and provide feedback where they feel is needed, sometimes for me, it's just about having someone to listen um, and someone who kind of gets it to listen, right? So for me and mentors that are like, hey, Steph, like this is your reminder. You can give yourself permission to like go run today or you can give yourself permission to not have to work today. And just those reminders that I know, but that somebody else is like, hey, it's OK, right? That's helpful for me. Nice. So good. You mentioned mentors being able to just allow you to vent. And, mm -hmm. and so. I love, I mean, that's really having a, a boundary with a mentor, right? You're the mentor that I vent to. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. And then, and then of course the mentors that, Hey, I really need you to fix it because I'm, I'm a mess right now. Right. Um, how do you help make that distinction? Um, well, that's a good question. And I think for me, it's understanding what my relationship is with them. So if it's a mentor that I go to specifically for business, then they hear typically about that side of things. Um, and sometimes that is a like, I need a strategy or I need support in like the next decision that I need to make here. Whereas if it's a mentor that I go to specifically for something in my life or a relationship or whatever it may be, that may be more of a situation that I'm like, can you just listen to me so that I can kind of I am, I'm a super self-aware person as a whole. So for me, it's sometimes it's just about verbally processing and allowing somebody else to be a sounding board in that regard. So maybe for me, the difference is kind of like understanding who those kind of different people are in my life. Mm, so good. Obviously, you're pretty high energy. You come across as, as fairly confident. How much did dance and, and, and play into that confidence or what helped you to to have the confidence to, to put yourself out there in the ways that you are? I get this question a lot, Robert, especially when it comes to being on camera. A lot of, I have a lot of my audience, obviously being entrepreneurs, what, especially if they're at the very beginning stages of their business. I mean, I coach entrepreneurs who are at the very beginning stages and I coach entrepreneurs who are seven figure earners. So it just kind of depends where they are on this spectrum. But sometimes I get the question of, how do you just show up on camera and just go for it? You're just like, you don't have a script in front of you. You don't have notes. You just like go and you rattle things off. Well, I've been on a stage since I was three. I've been on a stage in some capacity, whether it's dancing in front of people. Sometimes those were solos, like dancing by myself. And, you know, you're, there are no other options. Like you're either going to go out there and go or you're going to like run off stage and hide, right? Like that's what it is at the end of the day. I also have been on camera from a young, young age because I was a one of our like news anchors for our middle school news in the morning. And I did that in high school and I did that in college again too. So I've had a lot of those experiences where I've had to put myself in a place of feeling uncomfortable or from a place of like, needing to show up in a certain way in order to be able to accomplish the end goal. When it was dance, for example, it was just like finishing the two and a half minute routine without running out of breath or without like peeing my pants on stage because like I was so nervous, right? When it was, you know, in school or it was newscasting or whatever, whatever that may be, it was just showing up to do what I was there to do and to deliver the news or to do the interview or whatever it may be. And, and really trying not to let what everyone else is thinking or what anyone else's judgments may be like come into my head because mm -hmm. if that happens, that's where it's easy to get into your own head. And if you can just kind of say like, Ooh, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters right now is leaving it on this dance floor. Right. And that's kind of the way that I would approach dance. And I feel like sometimes that's the way that I approach going live. I'm going to show up, I'm going to give it my all and then I'm going to walk away. And it's funny because I often like think back to my lives or my videos that I do. And I'm like, what did I even say? I don't even, I don't remember that moment. I just like go for it and show up wholeheartedly. Nice. There's, there's, there's a huge chunk of wisdom in there. Like the, the idea that the, the voices or the opinions of others don't matter. I'm, I'm in this moment to, to do this task mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. 
Um, that's that's pretty high level maturity that, that a lot of entrepreneurs don't have, right? They're wrestling with that voice in their head. They're wrestling with um, the opinions of others and, and the fears based on what other people are going to think of how they look, how they sound, how they how they portray themselves. And, and they get stuck trying to figure out how to please everybody else in, instead of what would you encourage them to focus on instead? Um, I think so often we're concerned about what everyone else is thinking. And you have to remember the reason that you're showing up. If you're showing, and we get in our own heads, right? We have our own judgments and our own opinions. This is not about you. You need to remove yourself from this because this is about who you're showing up to serve. So if you're showing up, let's just, um, we'll use live video as an example. If you're showing up to deliver a workshop or some kind of live webinar or some kind of live speaking engagement, you have to get out of your own head and out of your own way about what everyone else is thinking about you or if you mess up or whatever it may be, you're in your own head, right? If you can remove yourself from that and say, I am here to deliver insane value or to deliver this presentation or whatever it may be so that it can benefit these people in this way, that's where it becomes more about the audience. That's where it becomes more about the action instead of the fear about doing the thing or whatever it may be. Mm, that's really good. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com, addvalue2life.com forward slash shift. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. So, so let's talk about value and and the, the value that an entrepreneur brings to the marketplace. How, how do you help them um, dig that value out and identify? You mentioned avatar earlier, and really that's kind of the key, right? Is the, the value you add to what audience to get them what result? Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you help them? you know, dig out those elements of their value to, to create their authority brand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to answer this with kind of a few different parts. Number one is identifying their why. Why did you start this business in the first place? What's your vision for this business? Usually there we get into some kind of a deeper story, a deeper why than just, well, I saw this need and I decided to offer a solution, right? Like, being an entrepreneur is a certain level of crazy and in some capacities. So there's a deeper why, there's a deeper reason behind you just starting this thing. What is that? What's your story there? So what's the meaning behind that? The second thing is what, what makes you different? What already exists in the market? Who are your competitors? I use the term competitors loosely because I truly believe that there's space for everyone, but you have to claim your space. So what is it that makes you different? Is it something that's customer service based and you just provide the most insane client experience and that's why people come to you? Is it some kind of unique product that it has this special ingredient that was sourced from Bali and people are like raving about it because it's so amazing. It makes your skin glow, whatever it may be, right? So what is it that makes you unique? What is it that separates you in other words? Um, and those are kind of, those are a couple of the first pieces that we want to chat about. But then the third piece is the transformation. How are you actually transforming your customer or your client's life in some capacity? And sometimes I get the uh, feedback from product-based business owners that, well, I like I just sell clothes or I just do this. When you think in terms of I just, you have eliminated yourself. You have to put more power. No. You sell clothes to women who are wanting to be more edgy, who want to stand in their confidence, who want to come across in this way, but are too afraid to do so because they don't know how to put this outfit together. That's what you're really doing. You don't just sell clothes. Dive deeper. What is the transformation? How is that woman who's wearing your shirt that makes her feel like edgy and confident and just showing up in this powerful way? What is she doing with her life? How is her life different in that shirt than it was without that shirt? It sounds silly. But there is true transformation back behind every single business that exists. And if there's not, you're missing that piece. And that could be why your sales are not where you want them to be. Mm, absolutely. That's that's so important because it the, the customer isn't buying clothes. Right. It's it's kind of like the the story of the the 
the guy goes into the hardware store to buy a drill bit, but he really doesn't want a drill bit. He needs he needs a hole in the wall. He doesn't even really need a hole in the wall. He needs a shelf stuck on the wall. And uh -huh. so the transformation he wants is the shelf on the wall, not the hole, not the drill bit. He, he wants the shelf, which is really yeah. the transformation. Um, and so often we get caught up in all the details of of the the drill bit, right? The tool and and the things the tool does and all the all the features the tool has and all the things that make the tool great and completely miss the point of, you know, they could do the same thing with these, uh, these double side sticky tapes and, and have the shelf up without putting a hole in the wall. They're like, Oh, hmm, maybe that's a better transformation. And that's really what I want to offer people. Yep. So I love that you dig deeper into, into that. All right. I'm going to switch things up a bit. We talked a little bit about Eli and your husband. Um, so, What's your favorite date that you and your husband have been on? Oh, my goodness, Robert. Wow, I haven't been asked this. Oh, my gosh, I don't even know when. Favorite date. It's been a while since we've been on a date. Uh-oh. So I'd have to think about it. I know, it's not good. That, it's, not it's, good. That, it's that one-year-old. Yeah, it is. It is. You, it's that, and we've moved and all the things. You already confessed that grandma and grandpa are there, though, so yeah. you're running out of excuses. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I think for me, Robert, it's maybe the, these haven't even been moments of, of dates necessarily, but they've been moments where we've been together. We used to live in Phoenix. We lived in, well, we're from Indiana. We moved to Phoenix two years ago. We were there for two years and we moved back after we had Eli. Here we are. Um, so we used to go to this spot and it was, it's kind of between Sedona and Flagstaff. We like to camp. So we had a rooftop tent on our forerunner and we would camp. Um, and this spot was called the end of the world. And you have to have kind of a four four wheel drive vehicle in order to get back to this spot. But when you do, it opens up into looking down on Sedona and it is just the most beautiful space. And, you know, Colin cooks. So, I mean, we had like full on meals when we camped. It was a very elaborate experience um, in the way that it was just special and we could hang our hammocks and we could look down over this edge into Sedona. And I think those are probably some of my like favorite moments and memories together is when we're adventuring nice all right sounds like you got to find the middle of the world there in indy yeah mm -hmm. yes yes we do yes we do might be tricky but we'll find it all right so that might have answered this this other question because what do you love to do in your free time mm. um i would say probably being outside in some capacity whether it's hiking it's being outside it's reading in the hammock I enjoy being outdoors and being in nature in some way, shape, or form. Now, obviously, in Indiana in the winter, that is a little bit tricky because it is cold, and you just don't go outside here when it's when it's this cold. Um, so, with that being the case, um, I really enjoy spending time at our local restaurants and our local wineries. Indy has a very cool scene when it comes to that. So, anytime there's a new restaurant opening or you know some of our favorites, like I, we live in the summertime within walking distance to one of our local wineries. Um, obviously not the case right now but it's just a cool environment where they have live music and you can go and hang out and so that's that's that nice uh oh yep uh, you, you hear my little one i hear eli saying come on mom hurry up <laughs> uh -huh. so so let's talk about the value of gratitude and and as an entrepreneur i think entrepreneurs have to grow in this in their understanding of gratitude and and it just it transitions so much in your mind and in your thought life. Um, can you share your your experience with, with gratitude? Yeah, it's funny that you asked this question, Robert, because I think that this this changes and grows and evolves. I have a client who's a money coach, um, and she was like, you know, in my work, what I've recognized with people who either have a lot of money or who don't have a lot of money. At the end of the day, everyone feels like they don't have enough. Everyone feels like they don't have enough money. And I'm like, gosh, that is that is true. As the business grows and evolves, it's like, okay, and we want to hit that next like income bracket or, you know, whatever it may be. And it's like, okay, but did you take a moment to just appreciate the fact that you have five new clients this week? And who are they and what are they doing? So for me, it's really grounding myself in every time that we have client wins. And every time that we have new clients join us, it's really taking a moment of appreciation for the opportunity to A, be able to coach them, but B, be able to celebrate their wins with them and watch them on this tremendous growth journey. So in the business, that's kind of how I do that. Um, 
is just kind of saying, okay, what are those moments of celebration? And we actually do this inside of our coaching program every Friday. We celebrate right. everyone's wins. I usually post in our Facebook group and I'm like, all right, I'm opening a bottle of cab tonight or a bottle of champagne or whatever it may be. Like, what are we celebrating this week? And no matter how big or small, like when I have that wine that night, I'm like just taking in everything that we've accomplished in that week and everything the entrepreneurs that we work with have, have accomplished in that week. Uh, that's so valuable. So, so, so important. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess one thing that you've had a level of success that you've built a team. So let's, let's talk about going from a solopreneur to a team and what that's allowed your company to do. Well, first of all, you have to decide if you want a team or if you don't, because let me tell you that having a team is a whole different level. It's a whole different ball game. Not only do I coach clients, but now I also coach our team and I lead our team, right? So not only do I have client meetings, I have team meetings too, which I love and I'm super grateful for. Um, but I have clients that are like, I have no desire to have a team. Like I just want to be in this spot and I'm going to feel really good about that. And that's really great. But Having team for me was was not an option. I like I knew that I wanted to have a team in some capacity. So for me, it's allowed me to focus on what I really love to do and where my areas of expertise can shine and have team members where their areas of expertise can shine within the business. So it's allowed us to grow in numerous different ways and it's allowed us to scale and it allows our clients to be served at a higher capacity because they have access to various different levels of expertise in different areas. And that's really cool. Absolutely. So what was the biggest challenge of starting a team? Um, I think the biggest challenge for me was realizing that I've done all of this by myself for however many years. And I didn't really have onboarding processes or like those systems in place. So everyone who started with me, I made that very clear. I was like, listen, you're not going to come into like a 60 day onboarding situation right away. You're going to be building that with me. So if you're not here for that and you're not here for the like trial and error and the ups and downs that we will inevitably experience together, this is not going to work. Um, so I think that that probably has been the biggest challenge because as a CEO, you have to take personal responsibility that you are responsible for helping to set your employees up for success. And if you don't set them up for success, they're going to fail. And that's a reflection of you, not always a reflection of them. And I take very personal ownership and responsibility of that. So I think for me, just really taking a look at what our business systems and structure have been and the systems that I've had in place that have been, I've done them and putting them down on paper and putting them into some kind of training system or onboarding system in some capacity. Um, that's probably been one of the biggest challenges. Yes, let's dig a little deeper there. I understand just even in the idea of hiring a VA that, you know, there's that the entrepreneur has so much in their head and and obviously the whole business is up there, right? And everything that you do. So so creating a system or documenting a process and then and then allowing somebody else to to do that process, right? Um, can be can be super challenging, mm -hmm. right? And of course, I think you you talked earlier about some of the the important elements for your clients to understand, um, you know, about who their brand is, right? Know yourself, and then and then being able to know your brand, know your know your brand's personality, and then being able to bring in other people and say, "This is who we are." Are you you know are you bought into these values? Are you bought into these ideas? Are you bought into these transformations that, that we want to help our clients achieve? Um, so how have you grown as in creating those systems and, and processes, obviously the onboarding system, but also the systems of, of getting the pieces out of, out of your mind on how the company runs to being open to creating a system or process for, for this piece or that piece. And, and of course, Anytime you have a team, you've added a ton of value just from getting four different perspectives, right? And, and allowing, allowing, I guess that's the biggest thing, right? Even in having power partners is my clients are the most precious people in the world to me. And I want to know that you're going to take better care of my clients than I would, right? I, I have that requirement for power partners, and I certainly would have that requirement for employees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... I'm going to answer this in a couple of different capacities. One, I want to answer this in the way that um, when I first hired a VA, 
I thought I wanted her to do one process or one thing. And she had a different idea in mind of how she did that or how she operated that. And I was not clear in communicating our vision or in what it was that I actually wanted to achieve. Mm. So I feel like that was that was one instance or one experience. Um, now we have all of our brand strategies in place. And I, you know, I have a team member who helps with our marketing strategy. So she and I very much work collaboratively. But whenever I hire now, I mean, I have our whole brand guide that lays out who it, who we are, who our business exists to serve, what our messaging is, what our core values are as a company, but what our team core values are. And I pretty much take that to the table. And I'm like, if you're on board, great. And if you're not on board, this is not going to be a fit. So for me, it's really been about showing up from a place of knowing, A, what I want in my team members, but B, bringing these pieces to the table before you even make the hire so that someone knows what they're getting into. Because if it doesn't work out, they can't say, well, I didn't know that this was the case at the beginning, right? Because you've already clearly laid it out as a CEO. Nice. Yeah, that's that's really important. Um, having each of those each of those pieces, um, and obviously you work with clients all the time who don't have those pieces, right? They don't have their their brand identity. They don't have they don't have their core values, and 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 if certainly if they had their messaging, they wouldn't need to hire you. So, <laughs> so it's so important to be able to 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 dig all those pieces out. So what are some of the next level marketing strategies that, that are helping entrepreneurs grow right now? So we're living in a time right now where we want to know that the brands that we're doing business with have our back. We want to know that they are prioritizing human connection. And as a brand, we want to be sure that we can automate in various different capacities. So we're taking a look at how do we automate, but still allow it to feel human centered and connected. So within all of our automations, we use some level of human connection, whether that's within using first names in our automated pieces, with whether that's within allowing the automation to start the process or the funnel, and then I take over or one of my team members takes over so that it's a human being. So really taking a look at, yes, you do, there are certain things that you want to automate, but how can you still add a level of human interaction and connection into those pieces? They can be combined together in some way, shape, or form. So that is kind of piece number one. Um, and then I would say in terms of what we're seeing in the market now of needing some kind of omnipresence, I don't mean showing up on every single platform just to show up on every platform. I mean, if your avatar is on Instagram and if they are on TikTok and if they are on Facebook and you want to be on all three of those platforms, how do they work together? How do they connect? How do they complement one another so that it doesn't feel like, oh, I have this Instagram feed that I use and then I like go live on Facebook and then like sometimes I post on TikTok. No. How do how does it all work together to support one another? And how are you driving multiple different touch points and leading them through your sales and your marketing funnel? So it's really about, you know, creating the human interaction and connection, having the automation pieces and allowing those two to work together and then creating that omnipresence in a way that is simple, that is connected, and that complements each different space where you have a presence in order to bring people into your marketing and sales funnel strategically. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the omnipresent idea is just, I mean, unless you're, unless you're a constant social media user, which doesn't mean give you a lot of time for your business. <laughs> I, I don't know how, yeah, the, the omnipresent expectation is, is overwhelming for, yeah. for many. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, and so most basic strategies say, just pick one, right. Just pick one. So, so what's the value of, of multiple platforms working together? We live in a world where it takes 30 to 50 touch points in order mm -hmm. for somebody to decide that they're going to convert with you which means that if you're using just one platform with, for your audience, that's a lot of touch points on just one platform. And that's if the algorithm decides to allow your content to be seen by that person that many times, right? Or if that person decides to interact with you that many times on that one specific platform. And yes, in theory, right? It can feel as a solopreneur, especially it's like, well, how do I create this and how do I do this, right? Let me just give you a prime example. Let's say that you are a solopreneur and you have a podcast, you have an Instagram, and you have an email list. 
So the way in which all of those kind of work together, well, your podcast is going to be usually some kind of longer form piece of content. It takes a longer time to put together. Maybe it's some kind of 20 minute or less episode. That's fine if that's what it is. Well, how can you take that podcast and repurpose it on Instagram and use your email marketing, use your email list to support and promote that, right? Well, first of all, on Instagram, you could take a 30 second clip from the podcast and turn that into a reel. You could take a two minute video clip and turn that into just an IGTV on Instagram. You could take a quote and turn it into a graphic and use that to promote the podcast on Instagram. You've just created three different pieces of content that you can now share on your Instagram platform. Now, when it comes to email marketing, maybe when the podcast goes live, you have an email that also drives traffic in your audience to that podcast episode. Vice versa, if you're on your podcast and you're saying, hey, I've created a free resource to go along with today's episode, go to my, go to my website, grab the freebie, now you have a new email of subscribers. So these two are talking to one another in that regard. And then you have the Instagram piece that helps with the overall promotion and driving traffic to the podcast. Mm, so good. Still a lot of work, but so good. Still a lot of work, yeah, but less work than going, how can I create three different ideas and three different pieces of content? And I've got to really sit down and write all the captions. It's like, no, just listen to your podcast episode. And what can you take from that and turn it into bite-sized pieces? Yeah. I mean, obviously if you're, if you're creating separate content for each platform, you're, you're doing it wrong and, yeah. and over, overwhelming yourself and really overwhelming your audience because your content really needs to be congruent. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, and the best way to be congruent is to have similar, if you're using clips from one podcast for three different pieces of content, those those are all going to be congruent. They're all going to speak the same message uh, and, and just you know, be consistent through all those platforms versus right. I hear A here, I hear B here, I hear C here. And on LinkedIn, oh, they talked about D. Well, what do they do? A, B, C, or D? I don't, I don't get it. And so I think you right. could really mess your messaging up. If you're working harder and doing all this crazy content creation, and then you're you're actually distracting your customer and right. making it harder for them to buy from you. Yes, and if it's hard, they're not buying. They're not converting at the end of the day. So, and if your message is muddled or it's confusing or your audience is just like, I don't know what's happening anymore, they're also not buying from you. A confused mm. audience never buys. Mm. So obviously now you've got your company growing to a, a, a significant size. How has that allowed you to contribute or give back to the community? So that is, that's an awesome question. One thing that we love to do at holiday time. So this year we actually called it the little love support box and being a this last year, um, I realized how many accessories that babies need to just like survive. <laughs> and of course, some of them are just like fun things, right? Like little like night lights that make life easier, whatever it may be. So this year we decided to create um, the little love support box. Oh, this was in 2021. So I know we're in a new year. Here we are. Anyway, <laughs> we decided to create the little love support box. We sent this to five moms. It included products that for moms to help them to be able to support their health, their well-being. And then it also included um, items for their babies, depending oh. upon their age. So that is that's what we did this year. And that's usually what we do around the holidays. We give back in that capacity in some way. So the year previous to that, we actually adopted four families for Christmas and we were able to buy gifts for their kiddos and provide meals for them and so forth. And so that was really cool. But part of my big vision is to create the Ignite Your Impact Foundation, which would actually provide financially financial support and would provide mentorship support for entrepreneurs who are at the beginning stages of their business and wanting to get that up and off the ground. Starting a business is no easy feat. And if we can give back in that way, that's what I want to do. So it's a big part of our overall vision that our company exists to do. So we put a little bit away each month in order to be able to launch that foundation in the next couple of years. Oh, so valuable. All right. So you shared that that little part of your big dream. What What is the rest of the big dream? So for me, Robert, it's really being able to empower at least 500 entrepreneurs to build multi six figure businesses that are freedom producing for them. Mm. And freedom producing can mean time freedom, can mean location freedom, 
can mean financial freedom, whatever that may be for them. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we want these entrepreneurs to feel like they have sustainability, like they have impact, like they have thriving businesses that they're proud of that work for their idea of success. Everyone's idea of success is different. What everyone wants in their life looks different. We want to walk alongside at least 500 entrepreneurs in order to allow them to get to that place. Oh, so fun. I love it. That's, yeah, that's, it's fun. Yeah, that's terrific. All right, we'll switch gears just one more time. So how important is play and fun? Wow, this is a good question. I once had someone told me, I, some, somebody said to me, Steph, you need to learn how to have more fun. Mm -hmm. And then they went wine tasting with me and realized that I'm actually a lot of fun. Um, but the balance between work and play is, is extremely important. Um, I think that I work more than I play. Um, and I'm still learning that, like I'm still, I'm still growing into that. Although now I have a one-year-old who enjoys playing. And so we have this little camp set for him. That's like this little wooden camp set and it has like, you know, different like fake foods and whatnot. And so the other day we were like playing with it and I was like, do you want to have hot chocolate? I'll have tea. Let's make eggs. And it was just like this kind of fun moment of feeling like a kid again and using my imagination to play. So I imagine that more of that will come into my life as, as he grows and as I continue to grow as an entrepreneur and a human being as well. Just make sure you give yourself permission. Yes. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. So terrific. All right. So you spent an hour having coffee with you, with an entrepreneur who's building their business and you want to leave them with Steph's words of wisdom. What would you share? Um, I would share that entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart, but whatever your vision is, whatever it is that you want to accomplish both for your life and the lives of those you serve Pursue it with a fierceness that you've never had before. Mm. Um, and don't let anything stand in your way, whether that is the opinions of others or it's the judgment or it's your own belief system, whatever that may be, do the work in order to overcome. You will experience trials. You will experience defeat. And no matter what, keep going because your future vision, whatever that is for you, it's worth it. It's worth going after it in full pursuit. Mm. So good. Steph, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you've shared so much wisdom. It's like a, a masterclass in, in branding. And, I love it. Yeah, so thank you. Great. Thank you for having me, Robert. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com In our next episode, Matt Dixon and I discuss the importance of language and the power we have to change the meaning of a story without trying to change the facts. We really dig into meeting ourselves with compassion Self-belief and self-care are valuable tools for entrepreneurs to keep moving forward.